Okay, so this morning we're going to try to cover two chapters, um, if time allows. We'll just see how it goes. Uh, we'll see how far we can get. Um, chapter 47 is, is short, um, and so, you know, we're going to jump into 48 as well. Uh, just as a quick recap, if you recall, in chapter 46, that introduced this pretty much, you know, besides the last chapter of the, of the, of the book of Jeremiah, the last section of, of the book, and uh, where we go into the oracles against the nations, the, the prophecies, or rather even judgments, as many of your titles um, are named in your Bible, the judgments over the nations, something that Jeremiah was called to, even in chapter 1. We began with, uh, with Egypt last week, and we're going to continue through these prophecies. So 47 and 48, these chapters that we're going to cover this morning. Um, chapter 47 is the judgment against uh, the Philistines. And then chapter 48 is on the Moabites. So the prophecies are in part, these prophecies of all these nations are given to us to show God's sovereign power over the world and all of its inhabitants. Whether, regardless of not, they recognize and acknowledge him as God, he still is God. And he deals with sin. Uh, to him alone be, belongs all glory and singular worship. So one of the things that stands out as we go through these prophecies and judgments against these nations is how um, we see how their gods are humiliated and brought down. All right, chapter 47. Um, so it goes into the, uh, the Philistines. I want to give a little recap here on the Philistine people. Um, scholars um, in my own study, obviously, of these, the work of these scholars, uh, they, they pretty much consider the, the Philistine people a bit of a mystery. And one primary reason is that there's, you're not going to find records of their own. You'll find records of other nations about them, but not of their own. Um, they are thought to have originated from the island of Crete. That's a possibility, a strong possibility, the island of Crete. Uh, the neighboring areas uh, in the Aegean Sea. Uh, Kaftor is a name. It's an ancient name associated with the Philistines. Uh, it's mentioned in the Bible. It's in our text today, in fact. Uh, referring to what is understood to be Crete and or even just the coastlands that the Philistines inhabited in Pal Palestine, referring to it as Kaftor. Um, that's C-A-P-H-T-O-R. Um, Philistines, they were, many of them were professional warriors, so that means they would be mercenaries at times. But professional warriors, um, they were turned back by the Egyptians during the reign of Ramses III around 1190 B.C. This is, would have been as they came over to the, the land of Palestine and they're trying to um, 
carve out a piece of land for themselves. Well, they were turned back by Ramses III in that time, and they settled in eastern um, Mediterranean area, particularly in southwest uh, Canaan, where we, in most of our own Bible studies, understand them to exist. Um, I'm going to pull up a map here in a second. Um, it's from that area where they maintained outposts uh, very, at a very early date. Again, we're looking at the, you know, the second millennia B.C. type of time frame. Uh, they, were, they had a military dominance in that area, um, and they eventually just assimilated into the culture of Canaan in that time. Uh, King David, King David broke their power. When King David came on the scene, and what he did, um, and what God did through King David, uh, had an impact upon them the rest of their existence. He, he really broke their power. They, they didn't regain their former strength after that point, even though they continued uh, to be a thorn in Israel's side from time to time. After the Battle of Carchemish, we talked about that last week, where Egypt was defeated by uh, General Nebuchadnezzar, the prince, the crown prince Nebuchadnezzar at the time, um, at the Battle of Carchemish, the Babylonians did for a time wreak havoc on the Philist Philistine people. Um, that didn't last very long, uh, as um, you know, if you recall, Nebuchadnezzar needed to go back home, get the crown because his dad died. Pharaoh Necho, the one who was defeated at the Battle of Carchemish, he came back and um, took over the. the area of Gaza, which is where predominantly where the Philistine land is. Again, you'll see on a map. Um, and he took over power there for a short period of time. Um, but that just lasted a few years because a few years later, in very early 6th century BC, Babylon came back, took the land, pushed Egypt home for good. Um, so the Philistines did continue to exist in some form until even the time of the Maccabees, well, you know, first century B.C. time frame. So that's a kind of a history on the people, the Philistines. I want to go ahead and read all of chapter 47. So if you have it in your Bibles, turn to chapter 47. We'll go over um, the judgment on the Philistines. It's hard to see when you don't hear pages turning, if it's the timing of when to do that, but. All right, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Again, when he came back again. Verse 2, thus says the Lord, behold, waters are rising out of the north and shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out and every inhabitant of the land shall wail. At the noise of the stamping of the hooves of his stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of their wheels, the fathers look not back to their children. So feeble are their hands. Because of the day that is coming to destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon, every helper that remains. For the Lord is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. Baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon has perished, O oh, remnant of their valley. 
How long will you gash yourselves? Ah, sword of the Lord, how long till you are quiet? Put yourself into your scabbard. Rest and be still. How can it be quiet when the Lord has given it a charge? Against Ashkelon and against the seashore, he has appointed it. And there we have chapter 47, the judgment on the Philistines. So I'd like to just walk through this. Okay, so verse 1, it mentions uh, that this prophecy came before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. So this fits within Jeremiah's ministry before Carchemish in around 605 B.C. when this prophecy would have more or less likely been issued. Um, when that foe from the north was still unnamed. As for the prophecy itself, it was fulfilled both in the events of December 604 B.C. I believe it was a, a cold morning on that Thursday. Uh, when the Babylonians sacked Ashkelon and they deported its people to Babylon. So judgment came to them as it was prophesied. Um, also in their a later recapture of the area when Pharaoh, again, had briefly recaptured Gaza, um, which is what verse 1 is referring to here, right? Uh, this prophecy was, was given before that time when Pharaoh recaptured it. It was given um, in this time frame around 605, maybe a little bit before even the Battle of Carchemish. It's hard exactly to pinpoint it, but all these things took place and within a relatively short amount of time. This chapter is entirely presented in verse, um, poetry, as opposed to prose. Um, it's in two parts. You can Divide it into two parts, you could say. Uh, the longest section is in the first, in verses 2 through 5, uh, where it really just describes their general destruction. Um, so what I want to do is I want to bring up a map. It gives me an opportunity to use a pointer, which is fun. Um, and just bear with me because it's, it's kind of, it's blurry. But it's the only way I can get it to where you can actually come close to seeing it. Uh, i got to unshare my in this show hopefully this works okay so just that's Ashdod that's Ashkelon that's Gaza um, mercy hold on let me kind of zoom in alright coming back out and that is Gath right here okay just that's that's the area we're looking at um, that's the area we're looking at so verse 2 says behold waters are rising out of the north same language is used if you remember in verse in chapter 46 talking about Pharaoh coming up Egypt coming up the, the rising waters of the Nile behold waters are rising out of the north the enemy's coming that's a picture of a threat that we have here that just cannot be stemmed um, simply. It can't be easily stopped. Rising waters are not easily stopped. It's going to bring destruction to anything that it approaches. 
We know in Houston what it's like to see the destruction of rising waters. Now in verse, in verse 3, the noise of the stamping of the hooves, you know, Babylon's invasion will be terrifyingly overwhelming. It's the language we need to be taken away from this. It'll be overwhelming. Uh, they're very tra- well-trained, disciplined ranks and troops among these Babylonian forces. Uh, they'd be striking terror into the hearts of their opponents. You know, their hearts would be melting. The war horses of the cavalry, they would be a very significant threat to what would be, in comparison, a lightly armed infantry of the day, in comparison. Um, and so we have this, this image of this impact of these, this thundering advance, these hooves, these thundering hooves advancing uh, with these chariots, the clatter of the chariots. You can just imagine the, the overwhelming sounds as it comes upon them. I grew up in the panhandle of Texas, and when tornadoes would come, they didn't come that often, at least where I live, but they came certainly more often than you ever could dream down here. Uh, but when they came, they sounded like a train coming. And it was scary because you had no idea where it was going to go. You hear this noise coming upon them, and they knew it was coming for them. They knew it was coming for them. You know, these wheels on these chariots were massive wheels. Some of them would have been as high as a man. And they wouldn't be able to get out of the way of these chariots, not fast enough, and they'd be crushed underneath them. Uh, even without any fighting, the impact of the invasion would be devastating enough upon the morale. It would be demoralizing. Uh, they'd be a, a panic among the population. It talks about the fathers not even looking back, not even looking back to help their children, their hands just hanging limp, unable to help their families because they're frozen stiff in terror. That's the image that we're given here. Verse 4 tells us of the reason for their destruction. It's because the Lord has determined to destroy them. Again, we see God's sovereignty here. The Lord is determined to destroy them. Their sins, you know, reading through this, they're not listed here. But God is just in his, judgment, in his judgments. He is a just God, and he is sovereign in it. We know that they had, um, were a sinful people, an idolatrous people. In verse 5, it talks about the baldness that has come upon Gaza. Um, it pictures a conquered people. They are a conquered, humiliated, shamed people. Uh, they're not able to respond at all to those who are tormenting them. Is it how long, a question is I answered, how long will you gash yourselves? You know, this, this cutting of themselves that they did, it was done. It was a practice that was done in ancient Canaan to show their mourning, uh, to show their humility before their gods, in hopes to persuade to action. Again, remember the prophets um, of Baal, um, Jezebel's prophets against Elijah. Now, this practice, of course, was forbidden in Israel. All the way back, you can read that in Deuteronomy 14. 
they're gashing themselves. How long will you do this? It's pointless. In verse 6, we see a personification of the sword of the Lord. How long till you are quiet? Wow. Now, the sword of the Lord, it's a symbol of divine judgment. Uh, the cry of the people, it would seem to involve them here, just recognizing that the Lord was in some way behind their disaster. They in no way acknowledge the righteousness of God's actions, but they, it, it appears that they see and attribute this to the Lord, how long, how long till you are quiet, they're asking. They just want it to go away. They want it to be put back into its scabbard. How long will this continue? And then verse 7, this last verse of chapter 47, it asks, you know, how long till the sword of the Lord will be quiet? When, how can you ask this question? How long will it be till it's quiet? When the Lord has commanded it to attack. That, that's... That's overwhelming to think about. How long will it continue to attack? But the Lord has commanded it to continue to attack us. It's hopeless to even think that it will go away. The town of Eshkelon, right here, right on the, the coastland, the town of Eshkelon um, was the only town, um, it, it, was, it was one of the major if not the major um, town for um, uh, the Philistines. Um, certainly was the major one for them on the seacoast. Uh, it was attacked and captured by Nebuchadnezzar in 604 BC. Um, in that time, Nebuchadnezzar was recorded as saying that he turned the city into a mound and a heap of ruins. That's what's recorded in history of what Nebuchadnezzar himself declared to a heap of ruins. Um, and then, you know, modern archaeology and its own discovery and, and research attests to this fact that it apparently went through a very devastating conquest. But really what was happening was that all of this activity this destruction, this judgment was under the supervision and under the control of the Lord. And it would not cease until all that he had appointed had been accomplished. The judgment on the Philistines. All right, let's go to chapter 48. Judgment on Moab. Chapter 48. Uh, it's a long one. Chapter 48. It's, uh, yeah, 47 verses. Um, we'll see how far we can get today. Hopefully, I don't know. We'll just have to see. Um, so I'm going to take this down, and in a minute, I'll bring up a, um, a view of, that gives us a better view of Moab. Well, having recorded uh, this, this position here on the Lord's verdict on the Philistines, we see the prophet moving um, a little bit to the east, across the hill country, 
um, across the Jordan even, or, or out the Dead Sea, um, to this area of Moab. And it's an enemy of Israel's. Uh, they had took advantage of Israel a number of times in their history. Uh, they mocked Israel in her distress. Moab's own ruin had previously been predicted before. Uh, we see this in Amos in chapter 2. We see this in the book of Isaiah in chapters 15 and 16. Um, so this is nothing new in terms of judgment coming to uh, the Moabites, that land. So the, the hostility between Israel and Moab was sporadic. It wasn't a constant time, but it was sporadic. It would, and it goes back really to the period of the settlement in Canaan when the Israelites occupied the territory that the Moabites considered to be theirs. They thought it was theirs. Um, it was at this early period then that Moab's eventually downfall was foreseen even by Balaam. Remember Balaam of Peor? The one who was tried to be hired to utter a curse against Israel, but he wouldn't. Uh, back in when uh, they were still in the watering in the wandering in the wilderness. Um, it was at this early period that their their door their downfall was even predicted by Balaam. And it was in connection with the rising of a star from Israel who will crush the foreheads of Moab. And that's in Numbers chapter 24. So it's early on this is even foreseen. Now one thing that stands out really for sure um, when comparing this prophecy on the judgment of Moab versus the other nations is that when we look at it just simply in our Bibles, it, it's a long chapter. It is a long chapter. Uh, it really seems disproportionately long when you compare it to the other nations, especially when you consider even against Egypt, I would or one could argue, considering all that you could consider in terms of the, the history of Egypt versus um, versus Israel. But like we did with the Philistines, I want to give some brief, a brief background on, on Moab. Um, this air conditioner keeps turning my page. Maybe it's a sign for the Lord. All right. A nation of Moab. You know, they lived on a plateau. That's what it was located on mostly. They were, it was bounded by the Dead Sea on the west. Okay? On its left. You know what? Let me bring up that map while we're doing this. I think it'll be helpful. Uh, all right. Can y'all read that? Mostly. I'll, I'll take mostly. Mostly is good. Okay. Um, so this is um, a helpful map. I think at least I found it to be. So it's bounded uh, by the Dead Sea on the west. It was bounded by the desert to the east. Um, and then you have the rivers of the Arnon um, on the north and Zerid in the south. Okay? Um, that's mostly what it's divided by. Uh, that's how you would kind of consider where it 
it, it's, its boundaries are. Um, uh, originally, its territory stretched even further north than the Arnon, uh, really up to the whole eastern shore of the Dead Sea. Um, that's why in this picture it goes up all the way to the top of the Dead Sea. Um, originally that was um, the land that they occupied, but um, eventually the northernmost section was occupied by the Ammonites. They took it over. The Ammonites ended up taking over this area here. Um, and they took it, um, and then in, it was Israel that ended up taking it from the Ammonites. And when did, that, when did this happen? Well, when Joshua, um, according to the, the word of the Lord, uh, gave the apportionment, the allotment to Reuben and to Gad. Remember, they were on the, uh, the east side of the Jordan. Um, that's, that's the land that they took. Uh, so that was given to Reuben and Gad at that time. Prim primarily Reuben uh, took uh, over that area. Um, there is an ancient artifact uh, that still exists. It's, I think it's in the Louvre, um, if you wanted to see it in person. Um, it's called the Moabite Stone, um, also called the Misha Steel. That's S-T-E-L-E. -E. But I'll call it the Moabite Stone here. Uh, it, on that stone, it records that this northern territory was retaken by Misha, king of Moab, around 850 B.C. Um, but Moab's independence just it didn't last very long. And, and then eventually fell under Assyrian domination, okay? When Assyria was powerful at that time. So it's generally thought that Moab was one of the nations which submitted to Nebuchadnezzar in the aftermath of the Battle of Carchemish, 605 B.C. Um, there were Moabite parties that were hired after that by the Babylonians to put pressure on Judah uh, after Jehoiakim's rebellion. Remember, um, eventually he rebelled against um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, however, the Moabites, their loyalty uh, to Babylon uh, was not to be totally relied upon because they themselves were part of the envoys that, of that conference that took place in Jerusalem in 594 BC under the guise of Zedekiah. Remember Zedekiah when he was still there? He, he brought in some of these neighboring nations to conspire against Babylon. Nothing ended up happening from it, but the Moabites were part of that. They were invited to come. Um, and so Josephus, he records that in 582 BC, Moab was devastated by Babylon, which would have occurred at the same time as there was further deportation from Judah. And that's around the chapter 52 of the book of Jeremiah, at the end, very end. So the Moabites didn't, the, you know, they didn't see much of an existence after the, the 6th century. Uh, eventually the Arabs came in and just overtook the land. All right, so I'm going to break up this chapter, since it's so long, into seven parts, uh, just to really make it a bit more manageable. So the first part um, talks about their impending overthrow, um, and it's the first ten verses of chapter 48. So let's, 
Let's read that. Chapter 48, verses 1 through 10. It says, Concerning Moab, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Woe to Nebo, for it is laid waste. Kiriathim is put to shame. It is taken. The fortress is put to shame and broken down. The renown of Moab is no more. In Heshbon, they plan disaster against her. Come, let us cut her off from being a nation. You also, O madmen, shall be brought to silence. The sword shall pursue you. A voice, a cry from Horonaim. Desolation and great destruction. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have made a cry. For at the ascent of Luith, they go up weeping. For at the descent of Horonaim, they have heard the distressed cry of destruction. Flee. Save yourselves. You will be like a juniper in the desert. For because you trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken. And Chemosh shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. The destroyer shall come upon every city, and no city shall escape. The valley shall perish, and the plain shall be destroyed, as the Lord has spoken. Give wings to Moab, for she would fly away. Her cities shall become a desolation, with no inhabitant in them. Final verse for this section. Cursed is he who does who cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from bloodshed. Okay. So just walking through this, in verse one it says, Woe to Nebo. Now this this Nebo that you can see here with a question mark at the top of this area mapped out as Moab. Um, it's not the same mountain. It's not the mountain from which Moses was led up by the Lord to, to look out over the Jordan to see the land of Canaan. Um, but it was a city that was located near the mountain, north of the Arnon. Um, again, there's a question mark here because not really sure exactly where it was. Uh, but it, along with Kiriathim, um, which again is kind of unsure where that is, those two cities were assigned to the tribe of Reuben. They were allotted to Reuben. And so, but they are both mentioned in the Moabite stone, those two cities. So really what happens to Nebo and Kiriathim spells out disaster for the rest of the country. In verse 2, it talks about Heshbon, which we see just a little bit north of this this boundary here. Um, it says, In Heshbon they planned disaster against her. Against who? Well, against Moab. Heshbon it was a well-known city, um, and it was in the very north part of this area, um, sometimes within, arguably, the boundary of Moab. Uh, but it wasn't always under the control of the Moabites. Okay? Uh, their dysfunctional brother, Amnon, so these Ammonites... Remember, they're brothers back in, way back in history. Um, the Ammonites often had control over Heshbon. So this was also, this Heshbon, if you remember your, your Old Testament history, it was the former Amorite capital of Sihon. Okay? 
Um, and uh, that, that was also uh, attributed and allotted to Reuben when the land was divided amongst the Israelite tribes. Um, so in Numbers chapter 21, uh, informs that this Sihon, king of the Amorites, it says, had taken Heshbon and surrounded in the surrounding area from the king of Moab. Well, then Israel took it from him, okay? It was Moab's, this northern area of the, of the Arnon, including up to Heshbon. Sihon took it from the, um, the Moabites, and then um, it was taken away from Sihon by Israel. And so Moab held a grudge against Israel, partly because they still saw this area as being belonging to them, even though they lost it a long time ago, relatively. So at this time of the prophecy, it was at this time back under the control of the Ammonites. Back and forth, back and forth. Moab, Ammonites, Israel, Ammonites. Um, there's a reference in verse 2 also to this, O madmen, O madmen. Um, it is not an indictment on the state of their minds as if they were crazy, okay? Madman was actually an area, a town in Moab. So you can we'll write that in your Bibles if you'd like. Um, but its location is also unknown. Um, in fact, one of our modern translations, the revised the English Bible, it will put an H in the spelling of madman just after the letter D, just so people don't get confused. It's not a state of their minds. It's actually a location. A little bit of trivia there. Um, all right, verse 3. Now, we see that each time, each time uh, one of Moab's great cities is mentioned, it's followed by a prediction of imminent disaster. It's certainly coming. Uh, and it was just really to drive home the fact that the pending judgment was inescapable. Verse 5, it reports this weeping and fleeing from their cities. Um, it talks about ascending and descending, right? So whether they are ascending in their escape or, or whether they are descending, whether they're going down or going up, they're surrounded with ruin all over. It's a, a clever wordplay there. In verse 5, uh, you know, we see a reference here to the fugitives of war as being a juniper in the desert. You know, what, is, what does that mean? We see that in verse 6, actually. Um, it points to uh, the fact that they, that they will try to survive. They're going to try to su survive, but it'll be in very difficult conditions and that with very minimal resources, you know, where a juniper would exist. You know, you can try to be one of these, basically. You know, their, their behavior of the Moabites, their allegiance that they had made to their worldly treasures, um, uh, even their own perception of who they were as a people and their national achievements. You know, that's why judgment's coming upon them, their pride. In part, that's why judgment's coming upon them. Their destruction is a consequence to it. It's not without reason. So, unlike verse chapter 47 of the Philistines, we, it's called out in chapter 48 in, against the Moabites. 
their god is mentioned here, their national god, uh, Chemosh. Um, some may uh, pronounce it Chemosh, um, but uh, it was it, this was a, um, a a false god that was known to have been worshipped widely, um, widely in this area in uh, centuries earlier. Um, according to John McKay, um, one of the commentators that I reference. Um, the Moabite stone refers to him as Ashtar Chemosh. Ashtar dash Chemosh. Um, Ashtar was the god of the planet Venus. Um, and it was a common practice, really, for the status of the gods, um, or rather the statues of the gods, not their status. I um, misread my own note here. Uh, the statues of these gods would be taken captive, taken back to the land. You know, we read about this later in the book of Daniel when they're drinking from the, uh, the, uh, the cups that were in the temple. Um, but they would take these gods and, and a lot of the artifacts that they were in their temples back to their own uh, land uh, as, a, you know, they not only conquered the people, they conquered their god. And so here we also see that the priests are taken away. Even their priests are taken away as prisoners. Um, just this widespread notion that the land was captured. Uh, it says, give wings to Moab. Give wings to him so that she would fly. She would fly away. It just really emphasizes her need to, to be like a bird here and quickly get away from the invasion if you have any hope. Of course, it was inevitable they would be overrun. And then finally in verse 10, in verse 10, there is a warning that the Lord expects devastation. This is where we see that curse there in this line of prose. Uh, the Lord expects there to be devastation. And the one that is appointed by the Lord to bring this devastation, if he is slack in his work, judgment will come upon him for that. Well, how would you like to hear that? as part of the judgment come upon you, that the one who's bringing destruction upon you, if he even is slack in that work, there's a curse upon him. It, there is, it, what's re being removed from them is hope. It's, it's like that final straw of what they're hanging on to. There's not a hope for you. But we will see something at the end of this chapter, uh, a mercy. But there won't be a, a hope on this impending judgment that it would be turned away it just drives home the finality of God's will to judge them alright I have my notes here a time check um, let's see here can I go through all this uh, I'm going to stop here I, I, I know we're a little bit early a little bit before the bottom of the hour but I don't want to get caught in the middle of the next section so we'll, we'll just stop there. Um, but there are, you know, just in terms of just thinking about what we could take away from this, you know, just as with Egypt, um, we see with the Philistines, and so far as we've gone through in chapter 48 with the Moabites, um, we see God exercising sovereign judgment on sinful nations. You know, Israel, Israel will be judged at this time when these prophecies were, were declared. But God's special chosen love 
was placed upon Israel. They're going to be restored again. And they were told that all along. They're going to be restored again. But we don't see such a, a promise restoration to the Philistines. Now we will see something mentioned, um, a mercy on the Moabites, but we don't see anything mentioned for the Philistines. So we must never, I think one of the things to consider here, because these judgments came after centuries of sinfulness. We must never take God's patience with us as approval for sinful behavior. Just because God's patient with us and things are going more or less okay doesn't mean that God's okay with the way we're living. We need to consider that as a nation. Boy, do we. Um, That was a serious mistake that we know Israel made. It's a serious mistake that nations upon nation makes. And all those, these, uh, even though these neighboring nations, uh, that they are also seeing God's righteous judgment, even though they did not worship the God of Israel, nor did God choose them for his special love, they were still responsible for their sin. They were still responsible for the sin of idolatry, among other things. And their, even their failed attempts at mocking God those things would not be forgotten. You know, Moab's mocking of the people of Israel in their times of distress, the Lord reminded them often that it will come upon you. This thing, these things would not be forgotten. So, all right. Well, like I said, we'll just stop there, um, and we'll just pick up. I don't think we've done that before, kind of done half a chapter before. Well, not... Not even quite half a chapter since it's so long, but uh, we'll finish verse 48 next week.